you you for the most part you look dead in the face of somebody who is who has a personality disorder and unless you are engaged in the disorder you can't see it no and even then i don't think people see it because here's another to make matters even more complicated here's another feature of borderline personality disorder that wasn't in the criteria but any therapist knows this enter the freud warning this is for entertainment purposes only. It is no way medical advice. I don't really know Amber and how much or how often she slipped into it. Because um, maybe she doesn't slip into that much when she doesn't have a boyfriend breaking up with her. You know, right. and then so maybe she's not borderline personality disorder. But when she fell deeply in love and got sort of like her identity and her safety in life sort of got enmeshed with Johnny. And then Johnny started pulling away. Then she went borderline which honestly is not that uncommon. And so maybe she doesn't have borderline personality disorder. We sort of have to see her in a variety of different contexts, I think, to really determine that. Yeah, that's true. And specifically, I guess, if we were to just break it down for people who aren't psychologists, the, the basic or like the easiest description, I think, is somebody or for someone who has borderline personality disorder is like a general perception that the world and those closest to them are going to be taken away and abandoned. There's an experience of potentially being abandoned by those closest and or I think where, where even clinicians get really wound up and hyper-focusing on interpersonal, the closest interpersonal relationships and then they miss out on the fact that it's the world. When you're, when you're borderline, the entire world is catastrophically getting ripped out from under you. Yeah. And... That. But, but what makes it even more of a mind, I think what you're saying is absolutely at the core, but what makes it more confusing and more of a mind fuck is there is that core fear of abandonment, but then there's this weird paradoxical thing of pushing people away. Oh, right. So there's this, there's some famous uh, little saying, I forget what it is, maybe you can remember, it's something like, I hate you, don't leave me. Or something like it's not. It, it's it's even. It's a little better and more dramatic than that. Yeah, There's yeah. This weird I, simultaneous pushing people away with violent hatred, and at the same time, this desperate "please don't leave me." And those things exist at the same time. Yeah, it's I love you, fucking. Oh yeah, maybe I. I yeah, I, I love you. I'll kill you. I I don't remember either. <laughs> but that paradox is a really important part of it, and it's part of why. The borderline thing is so confusing and hard for people to understand and why it's such a mind fuck for everyone. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really crazy when your environment has so many mixed up cues, almost like I, I feel like today's world is is more prone to to activating people who are borderline than anything I've seen. It, it mm -hmm. really is is super confusing. And, and later on, once when we get tired of this, I'll, I'll, I have plenty of examples that will prove that everyone is capable of becoming borderline. Everyone. Um, but, but for now... Well, that, I, I think that that's, all, that's kind of my agenda in this video is I want everyone to realize that there's this borderline region in the psyche and if certain things happen, your consciousness gets sucked into that intense black hole. And when you're there... It, it, like you're in a black hole and you're you're like wildly irrational and it's it's really this mind fuck nutty state and you behave very very badly yeah okay well then it, it, i hope you don't mind if we just take a slight segue 
Because I like I came home from work yesterday and I I like turned on the news, which is my new favorite obsession. And and I see that that there's this there's some leak from the Supreme Court that that appears like they're going to make abortion illegal in some mm. in some states. And yep. and I instantly my first reaction was like, that's impossible. Like, what does that even mean? What is that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And then I just, of course, the news immediately goes towards, they'll find anyone who is borderline and then immediately let them speak about the subject. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For for some reason, when you talked, I had this image of several years ago, when my son was younger, I somehow succeeded in catching like an adolescent bunny rabbit. It was in our yard and I cornered it. And it was, it was already pretty fast and fairly big. It wasn't full size yet, but I cornered it and I just got lucky because they're pretty quick, but I got it and I grabbed the bunny, you know, because it's a fun thing for me and my son. He was like seven years old at the time. And I grabbed it and it was all fun, but I did have this one kind of intense moment where right when I grabbed it, I looked into its eyes and the look in its eyes, it just was like in the most intensely scared, just like, you know, its adrenaline was pumping so hard that its eyes just looked like both terrified, but also like psycho or something. (laughs) And it just was like this moment of intensity there because it thought it was about to die and be eaten. So its brain was pumping the maximum hormones possible. It's like, all of its hormones, all of its brain, everything was was turned up to a hundred percent because it thought it was gonna die, you know. Yeah. And so it just was like this intense thing. And I was trying to have like a fun little spring day with my son, and then suddenly there was this intense thing. And it just it was like, oh, this the animals and humans included, we have this capacity to go into like fight or flight survival state where it's like we'll do anything to survive. You know, we say we say this term fight or flight all the time casually, but it's like a super intense state. And like animals can just go there in a way that we don't see humans go there very much. I think a lot of us humans, as we've been civilized over the years, we've like lost touch of that just intense fight or flight thing where you'll just like attack with the most vicious, insane. And it's almost even like, a wild self-destructive attack thing. And anyways, in that moment when I caught the bunny rabbit, I just got reminded of that level of primal intensity. Okay, so this fight or flight thing, then in humans, I think it gets transmuted because we don't do that where we just like lash out and attack and bite people. Like we never do that anymore as humans. But I think that same energy is in us, but it gets transmuted into like, intellectual ideological battles or something yeah and so i feel like like with the supreme court thing or um i don't even the amber heard thing or just like political things like wearing masks or vaccines or um or um wokeism versus you know uh antifa or what all this stuff it's like that stuff i think is getting channeled into that and this this like black and white thinking at the highest level of stakes and our, that part of our human gets channeled into that and goes into this like super intense, you're with us, you're against us, intense thing, and we just have this tendency to go into that. 
Oh yeah, you know what, Dave? I just realized this is not like an intro to borderline discussion at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, if anyone is listening to this and they're like, "What the fuck is this about?" They don't know what borderline. They have to go and start with like, "What is borderline?" <laughs> like, it, like, <laughs> what? Beth fits in. Last week when we were talking, I was using this um, alpha gorilla or diva psychology thing, and it just what you just said reminded me of it because part of maturing to the point where you can be relatively mature and not slip too deep into the borderline is uh, what psychologists call optimal frustration. Um, what are the other terms? So basically it's kind of like you, you gradually get okay with it. You don't always get what you want, but I think someone who's sort of been spoiled or been treated like a princess and really beautiful women in our culture, I hate to say it, but really beautiful women oftentimes get, get whatever they want a lot for many years because there's just this thing of a super beautiful woman is has this like uh, great amount of power in a certain way and a lot of men are going to really want her so they're going to give her what she wants to try to lure her into their thing and so an extremely beautiful woman goes through life kind of getting what she wants a lot and she doesn't have that much experience of I want this no you can't have that she, she, she doesn't have a ton of that experience unless her parents gave it to her when she was really young. But by the right. time she gets into middle school, everyone around her is going to kind of be treating her like a queen. And so she's going to have this spoiled thing. And then at some point when you don't get what you want, say you finally get to marry like the most rich, famous, charismatic dude in the world and Johnny Depp. And so you, so you're still getting what you want. And then he starts to not get what you want. You don't have that much practice with that. And you can quickly slide into temper tantrum. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that temper tantrum state, I think, is closely related to the fight or flight state. And it's closely related to a couple other states that are all kind of in this borderline cluster. Um, and so Amber will slip into that a lot more than someone who's had a lot of healthy experience of that you don't get what you want, but you still get what enough to like survive. So you learn to tolerate, okay, I don't get what I want, no big deal. But Amber just didn't have enough of that. Most people just think that that's what borderline is, is what you just read. If you meet those five of those nine criteria, you're borderline. If not, you're not borderline, which just seems like unbelievably simplistic to me because what's what's the one of the, one of the many huge problems with the sort of typical way that the field of psychology works these days is they don't even try to look at the root cause of any of that. It's just like, oh, you have these symptoms, you're borderline, end of story. But when I was listening to those criteria, I was thinking, okay, all of that makes sense because they're all rooted in this, the, the like underlying root condition, which was what I was describing. Yes. But then I'm even thinking you and I need to look and then not just you and I, but the world's depth psychology needs to look even beyond that to really figure out because it's a really complicated issue. Okay, so all of those criteria to me really obviously stem from what we're talking about, which is like super intense fear of abandonment and a confusing um, fear of connection at the same time. And that state puts a person in this like unstable emotions intense periods of anger and like desperation acting out, um, unstable relationships, trying to like 
desperately get a relationship and trying to push people away from a relationship. All of that stuff just is like rooted in this uh, underlying um, psychological state that I was just talking about. Right, it, it, it's so fascinating. You know, as you were talking about this, I was just trying to figure out like, in my own self-assessment, I'm like, how borderline am I? Right? <laughs> like, I'm serious. Like, this is, seems to be something that uh, normal people would do as they start to imagine, like, wow, look at how crazy. It, it, like, anyone who's had a volatile relationship, when they see this discussion, they'll be like, oh, my God, I might be borderline. Or how borderline am I? Right? And it's like, it's really fascinating because it seems like, as you, you know that, that a lot of this is a result of, of uniquely dis, uh, I was going to say uniquely disconnected attachment. That's like the weirdest wrong sentence. But like, mm -hmm. seriously, as a kid, if you look at like, how does a parent not, how does a parent misattune to the kid's needs in a way that then produces a child who's, who's like that scared bunny rabbit that you were trying to catch? Yeah. How do you yeah. produce that? Because and you have to do it over and over and over and over and over, so that the person's yeah. they have like a hardwired reaction to the world that it's like, oh, things are becoming unstable. Boo! I go to this place, I, yeah. I go to this this psychic and emotional place. Yeah. Right. And it's and it's super weird because you then people who who have this experience that they feel unsettled and incapable of dealing with the world's complexity. And they're like, oh, well, that's because my mom was an alcoholic. Oh, well, that's because, but then it doesn't make sense for all those people who, whose parents were alcoholics and they were actually abandoned over and over and they lived in foster care and they're not borderline. Totally. Like that is, and, and I guess it, it's really confusing, but I don't even know what we're supposed to do with, with that statement because as as the more that we talk about this i realize i it's hard for me to stay in any framework with this with this this conversation because it's so complicated and important okay let me let me just try to see if i can briefly address this super important question you asked which is why does one person whose mom is an alcoholic become borderline and why does one person not um okay so my theory is that in every human there's like this uh, I'm going to use the metaphor of a demon. There's a demon in each of us. And when that demon comes out and possesses us, we go into this borderline state. And it's similar to the fight or flight thing, but we don't just act out in a fight or flight way. We act it out in, through these more like demonic or fucked up ideas or we, do, we, we devise plots to like get revenge or to manipulate people. Or it's like, it's much more of a mind fuck because it's 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 a person can a human unlike a rabbit can use their mind to become tricky and manipulative and deceptive um, yeah and all of us if the demon is let out of our cage all of us can be possessed by that demon and start behaving in a borderline way but if i'm using the cage and the demon metaphor we all have a cage that we keep our demon in and different people's cage has thicker bars or thinner bars. And those, those develop in childhood in different ways. Like I think one key thing is this, what I call optimal frustration, which is like, if, a, if one kid learns, oh, it's painful when I don't have connection with mom or whatever, but she comes back, so eventually I'll get it. If he gets that a million times, he develops a fairly high tolerance for not getting what he wants. Yeah, yeah. 
And so the, the bars on the cage of his demon are pretty thick. But it could happen that he gets pushed to the edge where he now doesn't think he's going to get what he wants. And he gets pushed into this fight or flight thing and the cage opens and the demon comes out. And I sort of feel like I'm a good example of that. I can feel the demon in me and I can feel it's fucking powerful as hell. But like I'm able to keep it in the cage quite well. Um, but there's actually part of me that wants to let it out, but I'm scared to because I'm I can see the havoc that it would wreak in the world. Yeah. But there's almost part of me that wants to let it out, and I can sort of feel like I almost could just decide, you know what, fuck this shit. I'm gonna let it out, and I'm gonna fucking go black and scary on the world. Like I could do that, and I kind of want to do that because I don't ever let myself do it. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then there's people like Amber Heard where she doesn't have as much control. She doesn't have as much frustration tolerance. And that demon busts out of her cage relatively easily. And then there's some people, and maybe Amber Heard's in this category, that are like, fuck it, I'm not going to ever cage my demon. I'm going to let that shit possess me all the time because that's how I get what I want or that's how I stay safe. So I'm just going to fucking run that shit 24-7. I like th that. I think as you, as you go back to Amber Heard and you you start to to describe the experience of somebody who who has successfully allowed the demon out because obviously if you if you do this with very little skill the world just stomps you and i think the reason the conversation gets a little like meanders this way and then although this way is cuz i don't think the world of psychology has mapped this out yet yeah and i think the, i think the reason it hasn't mapped it out yet is a it's complicated be it super intensely charged. See, it's like, it's unconscious. It's like a hidden, mysterious force in our psyche and the world of depth psychology is gradually unearthing this and trying to map it out. But it's just a new thing. We, I just don't think the world psychology has this fully mapped out yet. I don't think people fully oh, understand it. You know, as you were saying it, I was picturing like, you know, if you, if you have a, if you break your leg, you wear a cast and so then everyone can see, oh, look, he's hurt because his leg is broken. If you have really intense anxiety or depression, you kind of do these behaviors that are easy to say, oh, we're starting to learn what anxiety and depression looks like. Most recently we are. But then this is like the third wave of, of, of a, a, the face of mental illness that it's so disguised that yeah. you you for the most part you look dead in the face of somebody who is who has a personality disorder and unless you are engaged in the disorder you can't see it. No, and even then I don't think people see it because here's another to make matters even more complicated. Here's another feature of borderline personality disorder that wasn't in the criteria, but any therapist knows this. Well, maybe a lot of therapists don't know, but any good therapist knows this is people who are in a borderline state or who can operate in this borderline thing, they have Jedi mind tricks and they can make you. So if you and me are in, if I'm in therapy with you, if you're my therapist, or if we're in a relationship, we work together and I can make you feel really intense things. Oh yeah. And it's amazing how borderlines will um, like, throw you into mind states, really intense mind states that you don't normally get into. I was working in this San Francisco General Hospital psychiatric emergency room with this awesome psychiatrist who'd been there 40 years and had seen 30,000 severely mentally ill people. 
and he was super chill and nice and always just in a good mood, joking, sort of had this like Santa Claus thing. And one day, and I'd gotten to know him and I'd always seen him like that. He stormed back into the, like the doctor's office and he was pissed and he sat down and he's like, that patient must be borderline because I never get angry. And if I'm angry, I don't even need to get any more info. I just know that the person's borderline because they made me angry. Wow. That's so <laughs> it's like, weird. It's, 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 it's that Jedi mind trick power they have to induce intense emotional states in other people is, it's really shocking and disorienting. And when it happens to you, you're, you so go into the thing that now you can't even think clearly anymore. And you can't really think, oh, that person's borderline. They made me feel this way. Most people can't do it in the way this psychiatrist can do it. Um, and so, the, and all they want to do is just like, get away. They just want to be like, that person's an asshole. I'm out of here. Right. Just kind of the point of what the borderline um, Jedi mind trick is doing is to create separation because that's like safe for something. You know, it's funny, a lot of beginning therapists and a lot of people who just get into therapy really get off on that little trick of saying like, oh, you can't make other people feel anything. So, mm. like, you know, that's that that first thing that you're you're taught is like, oh, you have to use I statements because you can't say you made me feel bad. Like, yeah. They, people actually talk like that, like it's this newly empowered stance, like. I yeah. am an autonomous individual. You can't make me feel anything. And it's like, totally. I am not responsible for your feelings. Yeah. That totally. And even to, to take that even one step further, you're talking about a, a, a slightly juvenile or simplistic perspective. But I got to take it one step further. There's this guy, what's his name? Sadhguru. He's this uh, Indian guru who's super popular right now, and he's super cool. I really like him. I really think he's wise. I've actually learned from him, so I'm not trying to talk shit about him. But he makes the same point, and he makes it in a much more sophisticated way. But he makes the same point, and his and his his point essentially is like non-attachment, and someone can come and like say mean things to you, but you, in theory, those words. They're just words and they don't actually, but it's not, but he's wrong. It's not true. Right. There, there's this weird, um, it's almost like I want to use the metaphor of a magnetic field, but it's an emotional field and two people come and our emotional fields actually like, um, vibrate within the other person. And one person can actually make you feel certain ways. Yes. I suppose if you're sociopathic, then you can you can sit there and interact with people you you deeply care about, and you can watch them in pain and squirming and suffering. You could be like, "Hey, I am not impacted by your suffering," but yeah. that's a totally obviously disconnected, stupid example. But it it just kind of helps us get slightly more in in a discussion of. Like when you're involved with someone who is borderline and there, there is a whole host of treatment and, and psychologists and, and psychiatry that's involved with the treatment of borderline. And they, but this is honestly the perception in that world is that you can fix borderline. It takes about five years of two times a week psychotherapy and the borderline person has to be deeply invested in learning how to tolerate this thing. This yes, and usually what has to happen is the patient, the borderline patient and the therapist have to get to, into a super intense, fucked up, intimate, clusterfuck, 
fight and the borderline decides the therapist is a horrible person and fires him several times and then comes back and they go through this like death rebirth thing together and you have to do that to fucking cure the borderline. Yes. Well, so, and there are some doctors who do this and some yeah. of them are really good at it. Like yeah. some of them are really good at it. And so it's, it's, it's strange that you can treat it, but oftentimes when you're learning about psychology, people will talk about borderlines as the therapist killers. The therapist killers. I, I, I worked with this one guy in, an, in a methadone clinic and I came in and I saw, they were like, oh, you have that patient? Yeah, man, he's a tough one. And I looked and in the past year, he'd burned through like nine shrinks. Yeah. Right. He just was like, eat them up, spit them out. And I walk in the room and sit down with him. Check this shit out. I walk in the room and sit down with him. And within like two minutes, because he's sitting there and he's just this scary ass dude. And he's like, his hands are all tatted up and, and he's been injecting fucking speed balls into his knuckles. Like, and they're inflamed and he's just like seething with rage. As I walk in, this is his introduction to me. And and he's just there like telling me like the world is so fucked. You don't even know. That was his, this is how he wanted to introduce himself to me. And I, I literally, my reaction was like, get the fuck up and run out of the room. And, and what I said to him is I was like, buddy, I'm having a really hard time even sitting here with you. This is in like after two minutes of sitting with him. I said, like, I don't know what's happening, but I honestly, I feel like I'm about to throw up. Like I'm, I'm wigging out. And the guy goes from his totally like seething rage to, hey, sorry, bro. Uh, what's, let me, what's going on, man? Like, I. Dude, that's so, that's a great story. He, he like immediately dropped his need to destroy the world. And then in that, he had a sense of self that was so caring and protective that like, as soon as I told him, dude, I don't think I can take this shit. He dropped totally. his thing and went to rescue me. Totally, that's fascinating. Okay, let me do it. Let me give a, my quick little analysis of that. So this dude comes in and he starts doing a thing that makes you feel a certain way. It yes. makes you feel a bunch of emotional ways, but it even makes you feel like you're gonna throw up. Yeah. So he's he's like exerting some Jedi mind trick or energetic thing upon you. It affects you in a certain way. He's probably learned to do that when he was like a teenager, and he learns to do that as a self-protective shell to keep people at a distance because he doesn't feel safe when people get close. So he did, he does that. Yeah. And normally people just stay the fuck away from him. But you, or the other thing people do would maybe be attack him or criticize him. But you, because uh, you're clever or tricky or because you are capable of tolerating intensity, you did a different option, which was just like be honest with him and you didn't abandon him and you didn't attack him. And that was like, Wow, he was like, oh sweet, wow, someone doesn't abandon me or attack me, cool. I kind of want to try to like keep this guy around. Bro, it was so gnarly in the end of that internship when I had to leave the clinic. Like, I remember uh, that was, because he, he ended up becoming my patient. Mm -hmm. And in the end, when I had to leave, it was so gnarly because he cried. Like... I, I, he knew it was coming. I told him like, hey man, we're, we're done. We got to wrap this up. But on my very last day, that dude who was so scary, like 
he cried and then I was just like, oh, trying to, I, we like fought our tears together. We were like, <laughs> we're like, oh, we don't fucking, like, I'm not going to tell you. Like, <laughs> we both like, it was like super intense, man. Nice, dude. That's a fucking good story. Um, maybe we should end with that because I, I, I like, I think that's a good way to end. All right. Totally. It, um, all right, well, we should maybe just keep doing this while the Amber Heard trial keeps going. It's kind of a fun and interesting topic. Clearly, we have plenty more we can talk about. Naturally. 